Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, Costa Sunglasses, Traeger Grills, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we sit down with Brian Vaughn in his home studio and office in Hilton Head, South Carolina, to talk about how he got started in guiding by mating offshore boats in the summer as a young teen, how he's learned to stay organized and efficient, his experience with the Hell's Bay Estero, and how he's built his business to accommodate serving more clients. Brian also shares a fun story of catching a snapper in Costa Rica on a longboard and how he got into the ancient art form of Giyutaku. We hope that you enjoy this conversation and the time that we had together. Thank you for your support. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. If you have a fly rod in your hand, it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just definitely making it up as you're going along. But So what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning at? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's going to be. Well, hey, Brian, thanks so much for hanging out on the podcast, man. We had a really great morning on the water with you, getting to see your home waters and great time last night enjoying some sushi in Hilton Head. Oh, yeah. I really want to talk about Hilton Head and what you guys have going on here because I think it's just such a beautiful place and incredible fishery. But before that, how did you get into guiding and how did you get into the the outdoors? Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's usually, you know, your dad will get that rod in your hand for the first time as a kid. And, uh, you know, we're talking, you know, eight, 10 years old, uh, fishing freshwater lakes and ponds here around Hilton head, which there are more than you can count. Uh, you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, and you know, once, once you get that freshwater bug and, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of want to strive for the next thing. And, you know, I got into the saltwater thing not soon after, uh, you know, I became a shoot right when I hit around the teenager age and, mm-hmm. uh, meeting a few of the first fishing guides, um, off, off of a marina right down the road from where I live. And, and they got me into the, into the mating world of, uh, working on charter fishing boats. And, uh, and that know, was as a teen mating on charter. Yeah. Yeah. Boats. So we're talking like 12, 13 years old, you know, working on a, as a little deck hand mm-hmm. and, uh, and riding along, helping out, you know, just really working for tips. And, uh, you know, that became a summertime job pretty much every summer, you know, all through middle school, high school. And, uh, you know, by the time I was in college, I, uh, you know, got my captain's license and I started running boats and, mm-hmm. uh, and from there it just took off, you know, that was just kind of like what I was destined to do. Now, you know, I'm picturing a, a teenager running around mating on these boats. What was that like? I mean, back then? Oh, it was great. I mean, there weren't so many boats here back then. Uh, 
fishing was just absolutely crazy it was great crazy good um business was more seasonal back then now it's more of a year round because it's such a draw of hilton head just as mm-hmm. a whole bringing uh, tourists here so we we had more of a seasonal you know june july august type of a uh, fishery and uh you know we would you know run your typical half day trips and you know just uh it was excellent you know we we you know we did a lot of uh more of the the trolling and mm-hmm. and and uh you know mackerel type of thing and then we got into more of the you know the uh big game offshore stuff you know gulf stream but i've always had a deep you know love for the inshore mm-hmm. flats and that was always a personal thing that i had a, a little skiff and boat to play around in back back in those days as well with one of my best friends yeah when, when did you get your first skiff and start really doing the whole flats thing over yeah here? i was probably uh probably around 16 or 17 years old when I got my first, first little skiff. Um, you know, but before that I, I always had one to borrow even as like a, you know, early teen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, once I got that little, you know, I was hooked, you know, and I, you know, you know, once I stuck my first redfish on the fly, I was really hooked and, uh, you know, learning the whole, you know, tailing redfish fishery that we have, which is, you know, phenomenal here. Um, it just it kind of made me want to do that, and you know I was destined to get a nicer flats boat and and you know put my captain's license to the to the test and you know start guiding. Did you did now did you start guiding right out the gate at eighteen? I did, I did, and uh, you know I just had another renewal. I mean, you know I must be on renewal number five <laughs> or six now. I'm turning forty eight next week, and uh, but. Yeah, I did, and I, for years I worked. I thought the easiest way was to work underneath someone with their own boat that they owned and not have the headache of bills and, you know, dockage and all the things that come along with uh, owning the business. And uh, I'm glad that I kind of forced myself to take that step and, and mm-hmm. start my own, and that was only because I moved away for a little brief stint from uh, where I live here and. uh and that forced me to kind of like, hey, this is what I want to do. And I got into it, you know. Yeah. Now, at 18, you know, you're 18, 19, 20, in your early 20s. Was there ever a time where you thought about just walking away and doing something more conventional? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, college, um, I forgot to tell you this. So, I majored in fine arts in college. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that might be a career choice for me to uh, mm-hmm. go into. I uh, majored in fine arts. And I wanted to... Uh, possibly go back to grad school and uh even possibly teach i was really into sculpture and mm-hmm. uh painting abstract stuff things that didn't really fit in the area where i'm you know where i'm uh you know grew up you know this is yeah. more of a coastal town and that kind of artwork i almost thought of about living in a city at that point in my mm-hmm. that stage of my life but um you know once i got back here and i needed work and, and got back on the boats uh working as a captain it just it just it was just kind of like, you know, once again, destined, you know, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. As, you know, a few of my friends kind of got in at the same time as me, and mm-hmm. they're still doing it. We're still real tight, close friends. What's that feeling when you came back from college and you got back on the skiff? Was that just kind of a feeling of, like, being at home? Or what, could you describe that feeling of just, okay, this, you know, you thought you kind of flirted with running off to the city and doing art. Yeah. And you come back out on the water. What, what was that like? I mean, what is that feeling? I mean, it's just, uh, the, the scenery, the location here in the low country. Um, my little brief movement 
you know, from where I live, I actually moved to all places, New Mexico, uh, and, um, went there with, with, uh, my wife at the time we were, we had just, just gotten married and, uh, we were there to try to develop, you know, to develop some land out there with her father. And, uh, while we were there that it just kind of like the real estate market was crashing and it going to the desert and leaving the coast, mm -hmm. it made me really realize how special this place is. And, uh, you know, it was great being around mountains and streams and freshwater fish and trout and whatnot. But, uh, you know, just, uh, missing the, the salt water, the seasons we have here, mm -hmm. you know, that, that was the main thing that I missed the most and wanted to get back, back to that. And, and that's what made me really start my own business. I had the boat already. I just wanted to get back and, uh, go straight into guiding. Yeah. And, and so what did that look like for you trying to get, was that, did you hop on the phone and start calling people? Did you put ads in magazines? How did you kind of launch back yeah. when you moved back? Yeah. Good question. So I'd say back in those days, it was more of being tied in with your, your local, you know, mm. shop, you know, your, your, your tackle shop, your fly shop. And, uh, and we had one really good one on the Island back in those days. And it's still, still here. Um, it's just changed names a few times and, you know, referrals from that came to me. Um, some of the mentors that I had growing up that had a good clientele that were kind of, they were pushing some of their overflow to me and, uh, you know, it, it, it was a business. So, uh, you know, I paid my dues and, you know, I would be glad to pay for any of those referrals that came to me to those guys and, and, uh, just started building up a clientele slowly. And, uh, you know, the island was just booming and developing more and more in those years. And, and I think really a lot of it had to come down to, you know, getting a, a website built early on in those days as well, you know. Yeah. And this is, this is a really <clears throat> cool place to me. It's kind of something that I've turned my attention to since I've started the podcast a little bit. I've yeah. interviewed, uh, John Irwin and Jake mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the mayor of South Carolina, Paul Puckett. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Paul. Um, but it's a really, a, a really neat place. Could you just describe to us a little bit about Hilton Head and kind of what y'all's fishery is like and the culture here? Yeah. Um, well, as far as the fishery goes, it's a, it's a good year round fishery. I mean, I would say redfish would be our staple fish for sure. I mean, you can target them any time of the year, uh, multiple different ways from spin to fly to, you know, you know, just, uh, artificial bait, you know, um, different low high tide it's it's uh it's one of those ones you can kind of go at it will and, and find if you know where mm -hmm. to be and what you know what condition and tide you have to work with but uh um but seasonally uh so many of the bigger species like what you guys have down in florida come up in the summer months um you got our tarpon jacks and cobia um so that really you know kind of lets you bring out the bigger gear um you know, mackerel, you know, the offshore fishing is pretty good with our wrecks that are, you know, just a few miles out. But uh majority of what I do is within a, you know, three, three miles or inside mm -hmm. type of deal. Um, and then, you know, just Hilton Head as a general, as a whole, it's, it's, um, it's got a great draw for families mm -hmm. and, 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 and high, you know, kind of middle to upper class people um, come here to vacation year after year have second homes here so i have a lot of repeat clients that come here to, that have been here for generations yeah yeah there's there's a when i come here there's kind of a cool southern hospitality the, yeah the the food is good we we ate what was the place we ate lunch at today 
that was uh, actually a place we went to an island called Defusky Island, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a it's it's just a, a unique little spot that makes you feel like a old school uh, maybe Hilton Head the way Hilton Head was back in the you know early '70s when I was growing mm-hmm. up. You know, just uh, kind of order at the bar kind of food and but real good quality, um, good stuff. And uh, that place, it's, it's, I think it's called, you know, it's Freeport, Freeport Marina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if the restaurant really has a name. It's just Freeport yeah. on Defusky Island. Yeah, and that was just, I, I don't know, there's just so many cool things, I guess, that, you know, for those who maybe want to come here and travel and check it out, you know, yeah. the food, the restaurants. I mean, the diversity of the fishery, you know, we started this morning you know, looking at some redfish and that was really cool. Mm-hmm. We quickly got into the whole Jack scene that you have going on here, which is, I mean, just incredible to see yeah. the behavior of the Jacks yep. up here. Um, for you, what's your, you know, what's kind of your, your favorite season of fishing in this area? I would say, I probably would say the, you know, this time of the year, pretty much from May through, you know, October, it's, uh, you get the most variety, the most bang for your buck as far as, uh, you know, going from smaller, your typical redfish and, and slowly working your way up into the larger fish, uh, mm-hmm. like those cobia, jacks, and tarpon, and, you know, your mackerel. And you, you could pull off a really unique little slam, really, if you had the ultimate day and conditions. And I've done it, you know, and uh, lots of triple tail. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a matter of knowing where to be at what time and, and uh, you know, know what, you know, what conditions to, to work with, you know, one of the things I noticed about you is, you know, you're, you're a very particular person. It's very obvious that, you know, you like things a certain way, you're organized, you keep everything really clean. You got the highest end gear, you know, from the reels to the rods to the boat. Um, today we were on the Hell's Bay Estero, which was incredible. I mean, I love it. Um, tell us a little bit about your philosophy behind that. Is have you always been that way, just really, really organized I, and or Yeah. What? I I have um I don't know what got me there. Um I think it's just a matter of just like once I started going into business for myself and, and kind of one of those ones where I haven't really had anyone help me like with any, you know, bookings or website everything that i've done is i've kind of done on my own and just researched it i've you know learned how to you know do my photography and editing my own videos and and uh and whatever it may be and then and just you know the the number of days in the water and the just kind of refining the the process of what can i do to to shave time off by doing something a little bit neater cleaner what can i do while i'm out there fishing by cleaning a little bit to save that cleanup time when you get home and have more time to spend with your family or whatnot and uh and just or you know whether it's just buying in bulk your tackle and having it sitting in your garage ready to reload when you need some and not Mm -hmm. have to you know save a trip to the to the tackle shop so it's little things like that what are some of the big mistakes that you see people make? Like, so, you know, if you hop on some theoretical person's boat, I mean, oh, yeah. you, 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 you gave a couple of good examples there, you know, not yeah. cleaning up as you go not yeah. having all your stuff that, you know, you need ready in bulk. What are some other kind of tips? Um, I would say, you know, really just, you know, having a backup, you know, backup of some some things whether it's it could be a part for your engine you know that you know you get to where you're running so many trips and uh you know having you know maybe a backup lower unit or which i may be having one of those issues soon as we were talking about the day one of my captains <laughs> is calling me about that i'm like oh boy but uh 
th- those things are hard to find, but they're a good thing to have if you have the extra money or, or you know, a backup trolling motor, you know, something that you're relying on every day. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you can have plenty of, you know, backup gear and rods, but uh, those are the main things that can really hurt you if you don't, if your book's solid and all of a sudden a trolling motor goes down or a, or a lower unit. Um, so those are kind of the things that I, you know, am kind of working at that I need to get that I don't really have right now that I'm uh, thinking of because you just, you know, you got me thinking about that. I need to get get that stuff in the in the garage with all the rods that I've got. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'll have some photos in the blog post at yeah. captainscollective.com. Yeah. you have a really great man cave, or oh, yeah. do you have a name for it other than man cave? Oh gosh, the rod shack. The <laughs> you know, you know, uh, it's got a bunch. You know, it's but yeah, it's yeah. yeah I, I it's, think everybody wants something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know? it's it's uh yeah, it's it's got a bunch of different names, but yeah, I, I you know i take pride in that little that little room down there and uh it's very well secure so don't anyone try to get in there <laughs> there's a camera <laughs> on it right now <laughs> but uh yeah no it's it's just one of those things i you know keep everything i know where everything is if i need something real quick mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, and and for you like on the the um with the the hell's bay estero kind of what was your thought process through going that route and and in general doing the skiff and the bay boat route yeah um well i think uh you know as a as a say you want to be a a fly fishing guide here it's you're kind of limited to the amount of days that you can actually run due to weather and and the type of crossings you have to do to get to certain spots with chop so i i did the i did the skiff thing for many years and uh got through it beat myself up you know no shade no t-top and and uh you know once i got into my first bay boat um that that changed a lot uh where i could go and how i how i changed my fishing styles um but i still could fly fish you know Mm -hmm. pretty much uh when i needed to i just couldn't get into certain spots like a flat or a grass flat a pole obviously but I could drop someone off, let them wait if I needed to. Um, but having two boats, you know, now I have that option. And I try to keep my, my clients down to two people at max so I can mm-hmm. pick and choose which boat and offer that to them like the day or night before. Say, hey, let's take the, the skiff and, you know, or we'll take the bay boat and we'll go offshore. Um, so, you know, going with the Ostero was uh, one of those things, Going upgrading from my last boat, which was the Egret Moccasin, which was a great boat. I loved it. Um, this boat just, it gives me a little more space and room and also range speed, you know, where I can, you know, maybe explore some places that I haven't, you know, gone to yet. And, uh, you know, the, the weight, weight, uh, on it is very light so I can still get into skinny mm-hmm. water spots. Yeah. It's a, it's an incredible boat. And today was the first time I'd ever been on one on the water and I was yeah. really impressed. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was great. And that was kind of something too, as we were running around, cause today really, you know, we were talking last night at dinner and, and we, my father, who's also on this trip, we were like, we really just want to see, you know, we want to ride yeah. around and see diversity of things. And it's vast here. I mean, there's just so many different mm-hmm. possibilities. I mean, anybody with a bay boat has a lot of possibilities because yeah. of the boat, but then the fishery itself, you know, all these different rivers and areas yeah. that you can go into for you when you're, you're trying to make a decision about, okay, let's just say that you, you have two people booked it's the ideal situation. You got good weather. I mean, what are you thinking through when you're trying to figure out what, how to plan that trip? Any tips on, on planning trips? 
Yeah. Thank God for all the, the new weather apps and, you know, you know, the things that we have at our fingertips to, to dissect and, and, and see what you can plan out tight, you know, obviously your tide charts, we used to live, you know, we live by, but, um, it, it comes down to wind conditions in certain moon phases. And, uh, we have such a ginormous, uh, tide fluctuation here so mm-hmm. that can be a big factor of saying okay let's take a skiff we got a you know an eight foot tailing redfish tide versus a you know average no no current moving tide mm-hmm. and uh that's where you know you can't get up and, and do certain types of fishing that someone may want to do so you know that's where i just kind of reach out to people say these are the ideal days for this type of fishery you know the wind may blow us out let's be you know be open to uh switching to the other other styles of fishing or or bigger boat if we have to we'll go to the big you know the bay boat if we have to so i'm looking forward to getting my uh new skip that's going to be built later on this fall Mm -hmm. that uh hell's bay professional and uh you know that'll be a better two where i've got like a good one person technical Mm -hmm. skiff which i love so i'm gonna that'll kind of open up my doors to to get those two clients on there versus just the one single Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's gonna yeah. be that, I, that's gonna be great. For, so you said something earlier too that kind of stuck out to me. You know, today as we're we're riding around and we're in this great boat, we're sitting in this awesome art studio, and I'm excited to talk about art. Sure, here. sure. Um, but you had told me that when you had first started guiding, you remember asking an old guy, and you were like, "Man, I wonder if I'd ever just be able to own my own house." And yeah. I think a lot of people feel that when they're young, they're yeah. like, "Man, am I ever gonna?" make any money i mean what yeah. what advice do you give to young guys who or or maybe they're not young just people who are at the start and they're saying i don't really know if i can make any money at all doing this yeah well i mean i will say it's uh i you know i get asked this a lot i i just feel like uh i would be a little bit scared to get into the guiding business you know right now you know just just due to the nump the oversaturation of certain places mm-hmm. and i know you're probably like in from an area where there's a lot of people or you know somewhere like the keys where i can't even imagine how many guides are there but here i've just seen just within the last five five years the number of guides have, have doubled um mm-hmm. not to say that they're not doing well but you know they're not they're not on a level as some of the guys that have been here for the last 10 or 15 years um and you know one one little thing uh you know, if, if, as long as you love what you do, um, I think, you know, it doesn't matter about the money and making it. It's just a matter you, you adjust your, uh, you know, your, your lifestyle around what you, you know, what you bring in. And, uh, fortunately for me, you know, it just, it just kind of snowballed and it just kept going mm-hmm. to a level where I was able to create as much business as I needed and, and had extra left over and started sending some away. And then I, started uh expanding my business and buying a few extra boats you know to to hire captains to run for me mm-hmm. and that's really helped to, to where i can kind of free up and and just stick to my repeat clients and take on some of the you know new ones you know that are the types that i'm wanting to get on the boat mm-hmm. yeah yeah and t- talk me through that decision too because i think that you know a lot of people start and they're just they're hoping that they can fill up their calendar and then you start having the turn away business. So then you start thinking about getting a referral fee and then you start thinking about other structures for you. Yeah. You know, how did, how did you go about decided to go the multi-captain multi-boat route? Well, um, it was kind of like some things just kind of fell in my lap, you know, uh, like I'd say my, my first, when I, 
I had a skiff to start and uh, my first bay boat that was it was a, actually someone just was going through a uh, divorce and I, I bought a boat at a, at a steal of a price and uh, I'm like you know what let's let's see if I can put my you know, actually my first person that worked for me was my brother-in-law and mm-hmm. you put him on there and next thing you know I mean he he you know was out there every day with me and mm-hmm. uh, you know and just kind of compounded you know and and uh, the you know the business just kept coming and the people were coming back asking for him and you know and I had my extra and it just uh it's just it's a gamble though because you could have as many boats as you want and then you have you can have that one year where all three boats can break at one time you know mm-hmm. so it's 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 a gamble sometimes it's easier to keep things simple I think I'm at a good number you know mm-hmm. having you know myself and two other boats uh and keeping it simple like that where I know certain people that have expanded and they're doing other things other than fishing and having lots and lots of boats but i'm also hearing about lots and lots of problems so mm-hmm. you know I, th- I think for the most part 90 percent of the guys that i know have the one boat and they just have more business that they can handle and they just kind of refer they just send trips to mm-hmm. other other captains that are kind of starting out right now and helping them out maybe getting a referral fee you know so yeah it all, it all depends you know, on what, what you're wanting to do and how much of a headache you want. If you can handle the paperwork, like for me, I'm down to my one trip a day and I get back and it's like an office job. Once I get off the boat and wash mm-hmm. and, you know, where there's other guys that are running the one, you know, one boat, they're probably out three trips a day. And uh, I don't even know how they have time to answer and book, but there you're probably going through a booking service too. That's, mm-hmm. you know, filling them up. So I like to kind of, you know, field out and, and, and talk to almost all my clients through an email at least to see what they're looking for and, and you know, see if they're the right fit for, for my, for my company. Yeah. And that's, uh, th- that was something too, cause you know, this is, this is a, you know, Hilton head is maybe some of the most expensive hotel rooms I've ever, you know, in, in traveling yeah. around, you know, it's a higher end place. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it is a tourist destination place. So you have a mix of people who, could just be at all different points in their, in their, you know, progression as an angler for you. When you, when you say you're looking for the right kind of client, what are you looking for? Is it a certain skill set? Is it a personality? Is it a targeted species? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not discriminating. I mean, I love all, all clients, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, you know, it's, it's great getting a, you know, father and his young son and putting that kid on his first fish of his life or biggest fish of his life or, um, but, you know, I think I'm kind of going back more to the initial roots where I said, okay, I want to be a fly fishing guide. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I want to do strictly where, you know, the types of fishing where, say, it's more sight fishing, things that's just visual, not just, just hucking and chucking bait and waiting on the anchor. Uh, I'd say, a, you know, a good 80% of the guides around here, that's basically what they do, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of bait fishing. And that's more for a, a multi-passenger type of trip. Um, so I like to stay on the move and I kind of get a little antsy if I'm you know, at a spot I don't see what I'm looking for. I want to move on to the next thing or next, next spot. So, you know, most, most clients that I'm looking for, they've, they've fished before. So it's nice to have some that are experienced and, uh, they don't have to be fly fishermen, but it, you know, just, uh, the ones that are, they know they can go out and fish mm-hmm. for a species and, and, and not catch something, but they're okay with that because we tried and we're, we're looking for what they're, you know, what they're trying to find. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much, uh, 
pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's, you know, I've heard that time and time again that, you know, people, there's certain things that might fill up a calendar more or you might be able yeah. to make more money on, but there's also that draw that I think a lot of guys have towards that technical, they want to challenge themselves. They want to push themselves. Yeah. They don't just want to go sit and do the same thing every day yep. just to make money. Cause there's a lot of jobs you could do that. You just do the same thing yeah. every day and make money. But, um, you know, another, another thing is when we were kind of riding around and, you know, we were talking about this at dinner, you know, your background, you talked about, you went to school for art, but mm -hmm. you've done like some really incredible artwork and your wife is also an artist. What's it called? The, the style that you do? Cause I don't want to say it wrong. Yeah. It's a Japanese art form called Giyu Taku, G Y O T A K U. Giyu stands for fish and Taku stands for print or impression. Mm -hmm. And it's just the ancient ancient Japanese uh, technique of fish painting. It, it was honestly the way that they recorded their new species they would catch or they'd have annual contest of who caught the biggest fish and they would ink these fish after they caught them and uh, lay sheets of, you know, paper uh, or, or just like a normal, you know, cloth sheet and then they, you know, just one color, boom, stick it on the fish like a thumbprint and peel it off and hang them up on the wall. And they would measure their fish that way. Uh, and just, you know, that was something once I was somebody that I know that was kind of my mentor growing up, uh, gave me a coffee table book on that type of art. And I, I saw it and read about it and I'm like, wow, I got to try this out. And, uh, you know, just, it just kind of went hand in hand. It was like, you know, right after college, I was like, man, I, you know, I want to keep my creative juices flowing and and uh, kept those prints, so I started just almost, you know, printing all the different species I would mm -hmm. catch here locally, and then it, wherever I travel, I would bring my paints and paper, and and uh, and kind of have like a little, you know, journal of of what I caught, and then you know the the whole selling and you know, those prints kind of came after I started doing little uh, art shows or going to some of the fishing expos and setting up mm -hmm. a booth and. Uh, and then it kind of, you know, that kind of snowballed for a little while. I thought that might be my, the, the route it, back then I was more seasonal where I would have the winters to, to do the art. Now it's mm -hmm. kind of the guiding's kind of taken over where I, I really don't have that much time, free time for the, for the art scene. So I'm going to fall back on that eventually. At some yeah. You point. were saying that's your like uh Aflac injury yeah. plan. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, but you had a really cool, um, rooster fish and you got a, a beautiful rooster fish mounted here in, in your office that, that your wife caught, but you had showed us, no, it was a snapper. It was a snapper that yeah. you caught on your surfboard. Could yeah. you, could you share that story? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of my winters have been spent down in Costa Rica, uh, mainly, um, I love to surf as much as I love to fish. If I could be a pro surfer, I would probably take mm -hmm. that over cause it's just uh, so exotic and, and cool. Um, the travel side of it but uh you know the when the waves would go flat in costa rica um i always would bring fishing gear with me down and uh and try to you know catch catch dinner and, and do what i could to, to live off the land down there and save money because back in back in the early days it was all about going down there in a shoestring budget and uh and uh you know just kind of doing that style and you could i mean you could literally go out and and get lobster if you wanted to you can go get fish at will um but when the back to the when the waves would be small i would actually paddle out you know with the with the fishing rod clenched down on my teeth and <laughs> pound through the surf and get out there stick a few mullet in my back pocket and and uh huck them out there or, or have a spoon to cast a you know be schooling fish everywhere in the surf and uh yeah the 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 
snapper story went like uh went like this yeah you know, so you you kind of get out there and you're floating around you don't know i don't even think about sharks because you know you're just i know they're there um but i've had my few encounters with sharks when i'm out there um but these snapper are all over the reefs out there just right mm-hmm. out outside the break and uh this big snapper you're talking about um i hooked on the board and it's just a a massive you know sleigh ride of getting pulled around in your surfboard for a few minutes and then uh <laughs> You know, then getting it in, you know, something that I actually have to surf the way I have to surf the board in and just put my rod in free spool and then ride through the surf and then kind of fight them in once I hit the hit the beach, you know, and kind of land them on the surf. You know, some wow. I could just kind of strap, put in a backpack if I had a backpack on. When, when you say that you... Um rode the wave in are you are you standing up getting barreled um, no 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 not, <laughs> that, not that good fish. no but i have i have uh, we have a lot of videos of, of like me actually on a long board that's i wouldn't be on a small board this is like a big nine foot board but i'm actually riding holding the you know say a good you know eight nine foot you know like surf style rod holding it up like a flag and freeze pool and the rod's still bending over as i'm running you know i'm just hoping i don't get a knot where it rips me <laughs> off the board but you know, and hope I don't get spooled as I'm running, you know, riding in. But uh, that's kind of, you know, I'm just riding straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, it's been done a few times. And, you know, the locals down there that fish, you know, see me do that. They were just uh, kind of like a little, little you know, crowd would gather. They're going, what the heck is he doing, you know? But um, Yeah, and you had mentioned that you had brought a cast net. And there was a, a group of locals that had never seen a cast net before. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those guys were pretty primitive how they would catch bait. They would literally just throw a bear hook when a, in a split shot out and just try to snag a sardine. And, uh, you know, you know, early on, this is when there were no weight restrictions on your luggage you could bring. I, I would bring lures and, and cast nets and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, once I started realizing I could catch bait in the net, um, and find my little tidal pools to store bait and these guys would see me just filling up my net full of bait it just made them uh we became friends quick and uh they would just come you know get all they need and we'd just kind of fish together it was kind of cool yeah and you know uh, you, you grew up in hilton head and yep. you have a, a, a history with going to costa rica which is you know what i would imagine very different yep. than hilton head in what ways did your experiences and, and travel to Costa Rica shape kind of how you guide here? Well, it, it definitely, okay, I, I would say it always gave me something to work for. So, like, we all do jobs, and, you know, we're kind of striving to, you know, what, are we, what, what am I working so hard for? And, I mean, to me, it was always for that vacation, that, mm-hmm. that next spot. I and, mean, yes, I, I kind of beat Costa Rica up and, and done that one many, many times. And, uh, but I still love it. It's, it's like a, it's just got a, a place in my heart that I love going to no matter how many times I've gone. And it has changed a lot. It's, it's gotten spoiled a little bit. Some of the towns and the places I'm telling you about where the, I was riding in with the surfboard and the fish and, you know, I don't think I'd go back there. It's gotten a little bit too, you know, blown up and, uh, touristy for me. So there's other areas now that I'm, I'm checking out and, you know, more rustic, you know, mm-hmm. hard to get to places in Costa Rica that are, that I'm kind of visiting now. So that's the main thing. It's just like, even to this day, I'm, I'm, uh, still, you know, looking forward to that annual trip there, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe eventually, you know, I could see myself, uh, spending more and more time there, you know, once my daughter's out of, you know, 
school or something. Maybe maybe my wife and I could end up down there at some point. You never know. Mm-hmm. You know, with kind of walking around the house and seeing all the different art and, and seeing how passionate you are about that, in what ways has that kind of shaped how you guide and how you fish? Do you feel like, because I've interviewed quite a few, I, I asked that because I've interviewed quite a few different artists yeah. and I've always been curious, like, in what way does what does that help or, or hurt how they fish? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely think the, I mean, the subject matter you're looking at right now, it kind of reflects the two, you know, my wife and I, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're into the fish thing. Um, the surfing thing. Um, that's a lot of the subject matter that we do. Uh, and that's how we like to, you know, decorate our home. Um, it, you know, it, it goes side by side just with what we do. Um, you know, I, I love, love the fishing, the fish art, you know, just, uh, getting to try, you know, getting mm-hmm. to, to, to do those prints wherever I go. It's like a, it's like a postcard of that spot, you know, in a way. Yeah. And I mean, I was looking at it and, you know, from how you tie your flies to how you have all your gear set up, you have a certain, yeah. you had systems for how you were storing your rods and how you wanted to get your rods out. And I, I would imagine that, you know, with art, there's systems and structures and processes and attention to detail. Is that kind of, do those things kind of tie to each other at all? Or Yeah. Um, I would say so. I mean, you just like your attention to detail and on the, on the type of art you can be loose and you, that's that could that could define like how some of these captains are where their their tackle box might consist of a five gallon bucket and everything's thrown in the little bucket you know like mm-hmm. where some you know someone like me i'm a little bit more my attention to detail is going to be more precise you know like on, on my artwork i want to be as you know realistic as possible you know getting every detail of what that fish looks like and mm-hmm. colors and you know, just like my, uh, like my gear, I just want to have everything placed, you know, it's just a little, you know, just a little, uh, one of those obsessive little things that I have. Yeah. That's just, it's, it's in me, you know? Well, if it's good with you, I got a little list of rapid fire questions. I'd love to run down here. So I know that you have two IGFA records. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us the story about how you got into chasing but those those two particular species and then also just kind of the the story around catching those fish as well yeah um well both these records one's a a triple tail and one that was you know the first one that i got and the second one is a you know jack creval um i would say the the triple tail kind of opened up the window for me to say okay records are possible here in south carolina where you think most world records take place in Florida and different places in the, in the world. And, uh, you know, these are two fish that just happen to be here seasonally in the summer months. Uh, but the triple tail was kind of a, a surprise. I mean, most typical, uh, fly line tippets that someone would buy would be, be a typical 20 pound tippet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the triple tail, uh, I've always had that, that, that set up on my, on my fly rod set up for a jack or a or a triple tail if I did come across one and uh the triple tail was the interesting story it was one of those days that uh we're, we're coming back in with a client and just finished the trip dumped all our bait had nothing in the tackle box you know you know ready to go if we did happen to see a triple tail and, mm-hmm. and here I am running in 30 miles an hour and you'd run one over 
and uh, we round up and it's actually floating underneath a, uh, a horseshoe crab and that's just floating dead. And, uh, you know, when I offered this, this chance of a lifetime to my clients, I'm like, does anyone know how to fly fish? Cause that's the only thing I've got, and, you know, ready to go to throw at this fish. And, uh, they, they were like, no, you, you go right ahead. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I will <laughs> gladly do that. Yeah. And it's like, almost like you, you get this trip for free. If you let me have this shot mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, that I gave that, that fishing charter to that client once, once the, the catch happened and it was really, uh, a cool deal. And it was a good size triple tail being, you know, 16, or I think 17 pounds and, mm-hmm. uh, it's still a record that's holding, um, today. Um, and, you know, finding larger triple tail like that and having to actually having a flower rod ready to go and getting the eat is not the easiest thing in the world. I've, I've tried several times for a triple tail and had them break me off on structures that were legitimate, bigger fish. But, uh, that one was just a, it was a gimme cause it was mm-hmm. on open water, you know? And, uh, yeah, the Jack was, that was more of a planned out attack. That's, mm-hmm. that's one, uh, that, that made me, the triple tail made me start looking at the record book and see, okay, what else is available in the area? And, uh, you know, I would say the Jack fishery we have here is, has to be, you know, ranks up there with one of the best places you can do it. And, uh, I think pound for pound, they're the strongest fish. They're just fun fun on the fly spin whatever you got but uh that that fish looking at the the weights that we consistently get in that 25 to 35 pound range Mm -hmm. it it made me go okay well we need to we need to try give Mm -hmm. it a shot and uh you know choosing eight pound tippet that was a a really light one to to go with and uh it's a it's a committed battle um you know every time i tried for a to go for that record we're talking a, a legitimate two to three hour fight and uh i went through you know two years of doing that where i'd probably caught did it you know twice a year where i'd fight one for a couple hours and it'd be a, a pound short or two pounds short <laughs> or you break them off at the boat when you're trying to you know grab it by the tail or net it so yeah, that was a lot of a lot of work, and I, I owe that one to uh, Raz Reed, which is mm-hmm. a big guy in the industry. Obviously, you know him, and uh, you know he had the the rod rigged up and ready. He was ready to drive the boat and give me the shot, and and uh, he was there to drive the boat and help me land it. And uh, you know, just it just came, and, and it's you know it's kind of cool. Both these records have have stood, uh, um, they've stood for years and I think they'll, they, they could stand for a long time and they, mm-hmm. they broke previous records that were on the books for, you know, a good 15 or 20 years. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll stay in there for a while. Yeah. And the, I was kind of curious because the first one was un kind of unexpected and, you know, there's all sorts of conversations around record chasing, but for you personally, you know, you're, you're not expecting to catch a world record right here in your backyard when, when this all first kind of unwound for yeah. you, what did you enjoy about it or what drew you to it that maybe was also unexpected other than just catching the fish? Um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, both of those fish are two of my favorites to, to target mm-hmm. on a fly rod. Uh, and you know, just the, the pull and fight, especially a Jack, mm-hmm. um, I would say that's it, just regardless of what, pound tip it is I, I love it either way um but you know the the uh it's it's just a matter of the the finesse factor of of 
how you would land something on that lighter tip and having to switch your, you know, rip them in, you know, tactics, say with a heavy, heavy tippet or, you know, 20 pound, you can, you can beat a jack in 15 minutes, you know, if you, if you really know what you're doing. So it was kind of like a finesse battle, like a, like a mm-hmm. long distance, like a marathon type of thing. And, and going the distance, you know, kind of, you know, on the, on that one, on that species, not triple tail, they've become a little more elusive over the last few years. And, uh, I'm still, you know, I've always got a rod ready for one, and, but I'm, I'm not expecting to, uh, come close on that. I think I could possibly put, you know, someone on another, mm-hmm. uh, record here, whether if they wanted to try, especially a female for a, a Jack record, a male, it would be kind of hard. I mean, the mm-hmm. next one to, to go for would be the, the 20 pound, which would be a, a 40 pound fish. And, uh, they're out there, you know, we saw a few today. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was incredible to see also just to see, I, I mean, my experience with Jax is mostly just been, you know, you see him school and you see him yeah. and stuff, but the, the behavior was a little more social here. I feel like, yeah. and, and they were tailing and you were joking and you're like, it looked like permit, you know, yeah. they, they, you know, they had their tails up in little groups and it's, it's cool. It's definitely unique. Um, most people, you know, like, you know, they consider Jack trash fish or they might be from somewhere like, you know, you guys are from Florida. You might see them more blitzing and blowing up and smaller Jacks. Uh, I've had a lot of people that they're like, when they see the size of these Jacks here, they're, they're amazed. And, uh, you know, then there's some that are, that are just, you know, they just, don't have any care after they catch their first one. They're like, Nope, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> Cause you know, it's a committed, you know, 30 minute fight usually mm-hmm. on a spinner rod for someone with their first one. But I've had a lot of people if they're looking for something to do on a fly rod here. That's probably hardest, probably one of the hardest, you know, the, one of the hardest fish to, you know, to fight in, but mm-hmm. it's also, it's, it's just a bucket lister for a lot of guys that are looking to, to get their, east coast gt you know not have to go to the seychelles and drop 20 grand you can come over here and and uh catch catch the miniature version of it and it's drop 20 20 grand on a hotel here exactly yeah you can do that instead (laughs) no joke no um no i think that that's you know just driving around your fishery too like i mean to us we don't have as much it's not as tidal in the gulf but just to see all the all the marsh i mean yeah so the the scenery is really cool you know you got barges all over the place you got you know oyster bars and spartina grass everywhere and you know one minute it's a redfish the next minute it's a you're totally using i I think too for me it's interesting anytime you're you're literally switching from yeah an eight weight two and 11 or 12 or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting day when you're going from those two extremes of rods. Yeah. And that, you know, that boat, I mean, as you saw those rod locker, you know, mm-hmm. those hatches are full of gear and we can just switch up at will. And, uh, it's nice having that and, and it can be stored away and out of the, out of the way and not clut- you know, cluttering the, the deck or your console where you're running into rods. So, that's one of the other, you know, features I love about that boat is I can have it just kind of rigged up and, you know, ready to go for whatever comes my way. Cause it can change like that when we ran over that triple tail on the way home and, you know, have we found them again, we would have got them probably. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, that's, that boat is probably cause Hell's Bay is one of the sponsors of this podcast. And that's probably, that boat is probably one of the, the most, you know, frequent questions people want to know about or out there sure. or hear about or message about or whatever. I mean, for you, what is it that you really love about that boat is, is there anything that, you know, surpassed expectations that you just were not expecting? 
I mean, they're, you know, obviously they're fit and finished their attention to detail of how they completed that boat. There were things on there that I didn't even think I was, you know, had asked for that were there. And it, it just, you know, whether, you know, whether it's just little minor things and, um, but the ride is just, it's butter smooth. Um, I, you know, it, the speeds all I need, you know, um, it's, it's pretty decent. You know, I'm, I'm saying it's, uh, it's fine. It's a little bit, a little bit more on the fuel burn, but I've got a much bigger engine than my last and I'm just getting used to that. So mm-hmm. it's not that it's like the fuel thing, but I'm just such a, you know, always analyzing, Oh man, if I go at this speed, I'm going to save this much in fuel. It's just a part of, you know, how I think. And, mm-hmm. But uh, it it gets me it gets me around so much faster and smoother and not uncomfortable for my clients. The seating, um, you know, having this, that second station was definitely I had to had to pull the trigger on that. I've, I've had a uh, second station on my last boat, and just having that uh, that height advantage mm. spotting fish is a game changer, you know. And that that's becoming so popular now and. Uh, you know, I, I spend half my trip usually up there, you know, looking, you know, and that's, that's where I like to, uh, you know, have those type of clients that are looking for that style of fishing, you know, where I can be up there riding mm-hmm. and they're ready to go. You know, when we run up on something, they, they can just reach out and grab a rod and me not tell them, I tell them where it is and they just they pull the rod out of the locker and bam. With, with kind of, I guess, circling back around on the conversation of what type of angler you look for to you? What makes a great angler? Um, now, you know, you can always work with anyone that steps on board and, you know, with a quick little, you know, I can, I can stop someone in their first, you know, if it's fly fishing, you know, I'll see them if we approach a school of jacks and they, you know, make the wrong cast. We'll, I'll pull off and say, look, we need to slow things down or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, really just, you know, kind of give them the whole mentality look it's just a fish you know and just kind of help them learn or even just give them a quick little you know Mm -hmm. little lesson real quick like within you know two or three casts and uh you know and and it's it's just nice to watch someone listen to you and and take your advice real quick rather than they get up there and they think they know what they're doing and then they're they're kind of flailing and and false casting one too many times and the fish have already moved and you know, it's just a matter of uh, just really just kind of working with the people and explaining the you know what you're getting into as you're heading out in that little short little no wake zone as we as we go out. And I kind of normally prepare my people, but I don't care who it is. If you see something for the first time, you're going to be excited. I still get excited as, mm-hmm. as can be when I when I have the rod in my hand, and it's just a matter of just kind of slowing it down and and, and taking a deep breath and and uh, and letting it rip. Yeah, absolutely. you know, you know, if you were to kind of reverse that around, if you were looking for a guide, like let's say that you're you and your wife are on a trip and you're in a new place, new fishery, and you don't have any intel really on yeah. on who to go with, what are you looking for in a guide? Uh, well, you know, obviously it's like we kind of all research and do or try to, you know, if we can, you know, see see what style of boat or style of fishery or what, you know, whether it's comes down to reviews, like we were talking about all that stuff Mm -hmm. and, and, or, or, you know, the whole Instagram thing and, you know, seeing what, what they're posting. Um, but yeah, you know, just really seeing someone that's kind of, you know, I can't say anyone's going to be like you are like I am and, and be as organized or I might do it, but I'm always, I'm open to anything. I just will sit back and take, you know, criticism or instruction 
And I'm just I'm never going to say, I want to go for this. I'm always going to say, you take me what you think's best, you know, based on mm-hmm. what we have to work with. And just like you guys were cool with that with me today, you know. And, uh, and you know, that's kind of the deal. You know, it's not really that I'm, like, dead set that I have to do something. I mean, I'm just happy to be out there and fish a new area and see new water, you know, just like you guys today. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I feel like you learn more that way. Yeah. And I I have more... I enjoy it more when I feel like you enjoy it, you know, because Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to force you to go do something that you don't think is the right thing to do today. And, um, I think all around, I think that's all around. You're just going to have a better experience if you're not going to try to force something into happening. And, um, for me, you know, this is, this whole thing is a a learning opportunity. Like I want to learn, I want to get better. So why would I want, why would I, come up here and hang out with you and then get on the boat and not listen to you. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, know. I know people, yeah. Do, what yeah. am I going to pay? What am I paying you for? You know, yeah. type of type thing with guys. Um, but, but for you, you know, with, with being in this industry for, you know, you've been a, a, a captain and guiding for over 30 years, you've owned your own, your own business for over 15 years. Yeah. You've had the opportunity to fish with some great guys like Raz what do you feel like is are some of the characteristics that help people just really evolve and grow and, and learn? Are there certain things that you've noticed from that? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, for, for once, just kind of paying your dues and, and respecting those older guides that you might have learned from. And uh, it all circles back, um, you know. Uh, you just kind of you kind of grow as you get older, Um you know, well, for for one, if you just can love what you do, mm. I'm going to keep going back to that. And, and that's just one of those things you just get to where, you know, it's, it's, you know, luckily you, if you can get to a point in this career, if you can make it long enough and you love it enough and, uh, and you're not pressured to where it's, it's about the money and you can still go out and have fun and, and do it on your days off as, as I do all the time, or I drag my wife and daughter out when I have any free time and, mm-hmm. you know, and have a schedule where you can actually have those weekends free. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're, you're doing pretty good. I mean, you're, you're, you've, you've gotten to where you need to be. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, it's kind of where I want to keep going and, uh, you know, I'm slowing down a little bit, but I still fish as much as I did if I were guiding you know, like full, like full all the time, you mm-hmm. know? So, and, you know, expanding a little bit, you know, like I have and, and having another a person or two helping me out is, is tremendous and, mm-hmm. uh, to make that happen and that dream come true really. And you said something I thought was really interesting that I haven't heard a lot of people touch on, which, you know, you're talking about for you, it's important and, and a part of what success is, is to still be able to love it and still be able to enjoy it. Yeah. And you talked about earlier when you're talking about doing something you love, you can build a lifestyle around it. Yeah. Could you just elaborate just a little bit more on advice that you would give somebody on pursuing, whether it's art, whether it's fishing, whether it's a, opening a restaurant, pursuing something you love and trying to build a business around it? Um, you know, I think it's just, um, um, a matter of, you know, you get into something, you know, whether it's starting off as a, as a, you know, as a mate, as a deckhand and working your way up the ladder, um, and, you know, working underneath people and picking up, you know, those valuable 
you know, lessons and things to do and what not to do and, uh, and how to operate your, your boat and run and deal with clients and be a, be a people person for one. Uh, mm-hmm. cause this is what it really all comes down to. It's not, it's not always about catching. It's about dealing with people and, and, uh, you know, you know, being able to converse and, 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 and ask things about those folks while you're out there. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think it's just when you get back into the love of it, it just, uh, it's, it's one of those things I just want to stress, like to my own daughter, like, I just really hope that whatever she does in life, I hope she just really, um, like something she doesn't have to get forced mm-hmm. into some job that she has to do. And I, I mean, that's just, just, we're, we're all not that blessed of where we can, uh, you know, grow mm-hmm. up in a place. I'm very fortunate to grow up in this, in this area. That's a, you know, a, a tourist town that has endless, you know, it's just never going to stop. It's mm-hmm. if people will keep coming here. Um, we're not really affected by the economy. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, just, just, you have to just be passionate about what you, you know, what you decide to do, uh, in the fishing business here, you know, so uh, that's, I, I think that's, that's great advice, man. I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get to hang out and yeah. looking forward for, for you to come down and and join us soon and, oh, and in. the forgotten coast, man. But thank you so much for, for hanging out and being a part of the podcast. Yeah, man. I, I really enjoyed spending time with you guys. It was great. It's great. Thanks again for listening to the captain's collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is the captain's collective. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.